Hello and welcome to the Tech Geek Podcast. I am your host, Sukriti Adhwanshi, and today I'm here to talk about innovations accelerated by the cutting-edge technologies. Technology has infiltrated every aspect of our lives, changing how we work, how we learn, and how we shop. It's inevitable that our devices begin to reflect our civic aspirations, our desires to connect with the others and to contribute to the world around us. In today's podcast, we will know about the crucial role of technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and big data that are helping elevate the technology space, especially during the times like global pandemic. Being IT professionals, how you all can turn to technology to find innovative solutions which can help predict, prevent, and control crisis. The podcast will also help you understand the role of technology in enabling accessibility for research and driving collaboration. And last but not the least, the session will motivate the techies to consider the lucrative prospects in the field of engineering and computer science. To facilitate these interesting concepts today, I have with me Professor Hari Balakrishnan, Infosys Prize winner for Engineering and Computer Science 2020, in conversation with Professor Arvind, a jury member of Infosys Prize, who is a Johnson Professor for Computer Science and Engineering, Artificial Intelligence Laboratory at MIT. Over to you, Professor Arvind and Professor Balakrishnan. Uh, thank you, Sukriti. Uh, my name is Arvind. I'm professor of computer science and head of computer science faculty at MIT. I had the uh, fortunate experience of chairing the jury for engineering and computer science prize uh, for uh, Infosys prize in that area. As you can imagine, it's a, and it's a very, very difficult task to uh, choose a winner in, amongst so many illustrious people. But before I tell you that, let's, Hari, uh, uh, introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. My name is Hari Balakrishnan. I'm a professor in the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab at MIT, uh, and also the founder and chief technology officer of Cambridge Mobile Telematics. Very good. Uh, <clears throat> so I think the way it works is there are some sub-disciplines uh, in which we search for prize winners and we ask people to nominate. And I had a very eminent jury of six other jurors from uh, top, top academic places and entrepreneurs. Um, and then uh, we came down to Hari and it's at one level, it's obvious because Hari has incredibly strong credentials as an academic. He's not just written papers, but these papers have had immense practical impact, you know, on standards and how wireless networks work today, how uh, internet works today. But more recently, in the last decade, he has also started a company in mobile telematics, which is having a completely different uh, business model and is taking us in areas where uh, it's really, really advancing the uh, state of the art. Uh, in in a, <clears throat> a very uh, a big way. So, Hari, uh, please tell us your uh, uh, experience in winning the Infosys Prize. Well, I think it's a terrific honor. Uh, I was frankly speechless uh, initially, and of course, I was very happy about it. Uh, but really, I must say that uh, in addition to being grateful uh, for receiving it from the jury, uh, and thanking my, my family for their support. Uh, it's really a testament to the excellent collaborations that I've had with my many students, postdocs, uh, collaborators, um, and uh, colleagues, both at MIT, other places, as well as particularly my company, Cambridge Mobile Telematics. 
Uh, could you say a few words about what inspired you to take up research on car crashes? That's a great question. I did not seek to do that. Um, I was uh, originally working for the past many, many years, almost 20 years, um, on looking at how sensors attached to mobile devices could allow us to understand the physical world better. And uh, in 2004, with my colleagues Sam Madden, I started a research project called Cartel. Uh, during that project, we used sensors on mobile devices to draw inferences using some interesting uh, scientific methods to process noisy sensor data about the physical world, understanding transportation patterns, understanding road hazards, and so forth. And about 11 years ago, in 2009, I got interested in how we can use that data to understand people drive. And that got me interested in modeling driving risk and understanding what are the factors that lead to crashes happening and what can we do to try to reduce them. And that is sort of the story of how uh, I was able to take this area of mobile sensing that I had helped create in academia and apply it in a practical setting to understanding driving safety and driving risk. Uh, right, so the way I understand it, there are two different aspects to this problem. So one is just collecting the data as the cars are moving and people are using their smartphones, you know, a lot of data is being generated, which you are collecting. And the second part of it is analysis of the data. So can you just say a few more words about how the analysis of the data helps you uh, figure out that a car may, uh, a person is driving dangerously or, or they uh, or how it can ultimately lead to fewer car crashes? Right, that's a good question. So if you think about it intuitively, um, and I asked you, hey, what, what are some telltale signs that somebody might not be a good driver? I think you would say that, well, maybe they're speeding a lot, or maybe they're not paying attention to the road signs, uh, they're running through traffic lights, or maybe you might say they're using their phone a lot and distracted by their phone while driving, or they're not paying attention and they're you know, doing a lot of hard braking and acceleration uh, and so on. They're driving rashly, right? That's the colloquial word. So it turns out that you can take that and scientifically very precisely define those patterns. And more importantly, you can correlate that against, uh, correlate that with uh, crashes that actually happen. And you can ask, what are the driving tendencies that lead to crashes that are that are causative of crashes or that are highly correlated with crash patterns. And that's the essence of the science. And it turns out you can take data from things like accelerometers and gyroscopes, as well as velocity position sensors on phones and convert that into the dynamics of the vehicle and then build up scientific models that um, predict crashes. So you can literally go from uh, high frequency acceleration data obtained from a smartphone to a likelihood that a given driver will encounter a crash in the next year. And by doing that science, you can identify risk factors. And we don't stop there. You can then provide incentives for people to avoid doing those behaviors. And not penalties, but positive incentives like driving rewards or insurance discounts. So not only can you measure driving, you can actually incentivize better driving all through the mobile device. And has it worked like providing these incentives uh, our insurance company collaborating with you? Yes, we are. We run about 65 enterprise programs, mostly with insurers uh, around the world. Uh, we work with 
about six of the top 10 US insurers and many others globally, the top insurers in the UK, in Germany, South Africa, and many countries like that. In fact, are pretty eager to enter the, uh, to work with uh, partners in India as well. Um, and uh, yes, they work, we have about six and a half million drivers. We've also built some IoT internet of thing devices, uh, have shipped 17 million of them. So we expect to see a much larger growth in our user base over the next year or two. Um, and we also work with smartphone sensors. And some examples are that some of our leading partners have managed to reduce their uh, loss ratios, which is to say the amount of money that they have to pay to settle insurance claims by 17%, because in fact, people have become better drivers. Uh, we can reduce with the right incentives, phone distraction by 35% on average within 30 days. And these improvements can even persist. And, and we don't not just work with city uh, with, uh, with insurance companies. We work with many city governments in creating specialized safe driving programs, all built around smartphone competitions and contests. Again, these programs have successfully reduced it. But it's not that you could do it once and stop. You have to have continuous engagement by taking ideas from behavioral science and combining it with artificial intelligence and mobile sensing. Uh, you know, in these uh, uh, COVID times, things like machine learning and AI and big data uh, seen itself in tracking variants and mutations of the virus and uh, trying to bring out new vaccines that can even combat new viruses, etc. Taking a clue from that, you know, I mean, these technologies are very, very fast moving, you know, so IoT devices, there are more and more and they get smarter every day and combined with deep analysis we can do by bringing machine learning into this how do you see this uh telematic telemobile stuff evolving in future so i want to give an example of something that shows the long arc of research and how it might apply to practice so many many years ago i worked on an indoor location system that compound to obtain indoor position by estimating the distance between mobile devices so we could build an indoor GPS system. If you fast forward to year 2020 with the pandemic, um, what became really interesting for some of the, one example was contact tracing. And of course, there's many applications that you've seen for it. And many of them use Bluetooth to estimate distances. And the trouble is that it's not very accurate. And what you need for contact tracing is knowing if you're within two meters for uh, several minutes. Um, in collaboration recently with people at MIT, Lincoln Labs, and some of the Boston area hospitals, we worked out a system that went back to this year, long ago research that uh, my group had done, but applied in a modern context. Uh, we developed a scheme called Sonic Pact on smartphones, which was able to provide very accurate distance for contact tracing applications. Now, some of the fundamental research had been done many years ago, but a lot of the new research happened last year. And we're not the only group doing this type of work. But this is an example of something where combination of AI, ML, and IoT can actually help with one aspect of something that became very important during the pandemic. But now you can look at wearables. You can imagine people building um, uh, watches that have this technology, so you don't need to run it on your smartphone. You might imagine doing it on other wearable types of devices going into the future as well. So I do think that a lot of the fundamental research that researchers are doing, some of it will have immediate impact, some of it will have impact 10 or 15 or 20 years later. But I think it is really important that um, that research be done 
so that when an immediate when a need arises within several months within a few months we can actually develop applications and apply that technology in the real world hari uh, cartel project your cartel project actually launched the field of mobile sensing and just for our listeners it will be good to understand exactly what are the various pieces of this technology what had to be done in order for this mobile sensing to become a effective thing to be a useful thing right that's a great question again um what the fundamental problems uh, the fundamental area of mobile the mobile sensing is a fundamental area now where it says look there are sensors that have become really inexpensive things like accelerometers gyroscopes position sensors barometers etc and they're now on mobile devices for example on phones but on other things that for example in vehicles uh, or even in things that we uh, are carrying around with us uh, iot devices the fundamental property of all sensors is that they're noisy you don't get perfect data coming out of it and especially in a mobile context as you move the data is going to be noisy it's going to be missing in some cases so one of the areas is how do you take noisy data and convert it into inferences about what is actually happening so for example how do i take acceleration data from my phone which could be in my pocket or moving around when i'm driving and convert that into what is it that the car is actually doing and also understand whether somebody is using the phone in a way that they are distracted by the phone so that is an area of fundamental importance the other one is collecting data in a very power efficient or battery efficient way and this again is an important question uh, because we would like these devices to run often on batteries that last for a long time and if you continuously take data from the sensors uh, that could that could drain the battery so i would say that those are the two um, kind of science areas in mobile sensing and the third one is how do you take the data and do the science to apply it to individual applications whether it be in healthcare or whether it be in um, transportation or whether it be in other aspects uh, which are more of societal of a societal nature mm-hmm. very good very good uh, uh, i think this is uh, this actually explains uh, a lot of things about what you have done and i uh, i'm very excited by this idea that mobile sensing has actually lost launched almost a new industry because i expect to see many many more applications which will rely on mobile sensing uh, indeed uh, i think that as we look to the future in looking even at how uh, we look at the future with autonomous vehicles and so on i think mobile sensing would become a pretty key part of uh, of that uh, increasing part of that uh, of that future um so yeah i completely agree with you uh, arvind i have a question for you um as a jury member uh, and in fact chair of the jury what are your thoughts on the uh, infosys science foundation's contribution toward inspiring young indians to choose a career in research um especially over the last 12 or so years uh, also understanding the evolution of the infosys prize i think it's a very very exciting development because one vision uh, the foundation has you know and as told to me by uh, mr naranamurthy himself is he wants to see excellence in science and research it's not just a question of how many people are doing the work but he wants to be for india for us to be doing the very best possible work so he's very keen that this prize 
absolutely recognizes the best talent that it must inspire young people. And I must say that because of this, because being the jury chair, I've had the uh, uh, opportunity to look at a lot of work being done in India, and some of it is truly inspiring. It'll be fantastic if the quantity was the quantity of high quality was greater, but there is a huge amounts and uh, not huge. There is very high quality work being done in India. And it would be also wonderful if it gets connected to commercial developments. The other aspect of it is there is no doubt in my mind that it has become the most important prize in, in uh, science and engineering in India. So anybody who wins it in the Indian context, I think it's going to impact their life uh, significantly. And uh, I've talked to some past winners and they invariably tell me that how much uh, it has affected them winning this prize because they go and give talks, which in itself inspires lots of young people. Now, what will be even more interesting, and we can all speculate about that, I'd like to hear your opinion, is uh, how does technology landscape, because it's changing so rapidly, right? Uh, and it advanced, uh, affects advancements in every sector. How does it affect people's career choices? Right. I mean, you are one of the fortunate ones and one of the very able ones who have been able to combine uh, academic excellence with entrepreneurial activity. And uh, I'd like you to elaborate. I mean, you know, is that the way to do it uh, or there are other ways of doing it? Well, I think that um, there are many ways to have an impact on, on, on the world and on, on oneself. I don't think that there's a unique answer. Um, so I, I sort of have two variants of the answer here. So one is that fundamentally, I think academic research is about ideas. Um, it's not about uh, having uh, an impact immediately on products, uh, but I think the value of academic research, which is, uh, or fundamental research, whether it be done in academia or at a, at a lab, at a company, is often uh, of a, uh, in terms of how good are the ideas, how new are they, and how valuable are they going to be over the next 10, 15 years. But then there's also uh, equally important, perhaps even more important in many ways, is, is what you do with those ideas and what other people do with those ideas, and that's with products. Uh, I, I don't actually think one is better than the other or more important than the other, but I think there are two ways in which one could have an impact on the world. Um, I will say that uh, research as a career is an extremely fulfilling thing because you're often uh, finding things that's new before you found it or before your group that you're working with found it. And I think that that has uh, enormous joy and the ability to explain that to other people is equally important when especially you take something messy and complicated and you're able to simplify it. Narvin, you yourself have done numerous things like that in your career that are you know, very much an inspiration to me. Just the idea of simplifying complexity, which I think is something that, especially as computer scientists, we, we often um, value. Um, another way to answer this from a career perspective um, for people is there are three sets of things you could do. There's a set of things that you're good at as an individual. Then there's a set of things that um, you enjoy doing. And they might not be the same thing. For example, I'm sorry, I, I would say uh, you enjoy doing means you're interested in. So like there's some set of things that I'm really good at 
there's, and I like doing. There's a set of things I'm interested in. And then there's a set of things that are valuable in terms of practical utility. And if one is lucky, you can work on things that have all three. But I think it's perfectly okay to do things that have one or the other. You don't have to get all three. Uh, but if you get all three, then I think you not only um, are working on something which you're good at doing and interested in, um, but um, which you're good at, uh, which you're good at and interested in, but also make an impact on the world. And I think that when you hit that combination, you can, you know, it, it's you know, one should consider oneself quite lucky. Thank you, Hari. I mean, I often tell young people is you can't just work for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You have to actually enjoy the process of getting there. And, and in research, we are very fortunate to have that opportunity. Well, I'd like yep. to thank you for this uh, wonderful conversation. And I'd like to hand it over back to uh, Sukriti. Well, that was a splendid conversation, I must say. Thank you so much, Professor Balakrishnan and Professor Arvind for sharing your knowledge and experience with us today. It was amazing to have such insights from both of you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks a lot.